Hello, everyone. It's Dr. Valerie Riddle, 1989 alum of the USF Health Morsani College of Medicine, and your host for the USF Health Morsani College of Medicine Alumni Society podcast. And our series right now is on careers in military medicine. I am really excited to have with me today, Dr. Katrina Thomas, who is a 2020 graduate of Morsani College of Medicine, and she has chosen a path in military medicine. And I'm looking forward, Katrina, to hearing a little bit about how you chose that path. So maybe I'll have you kick us off with why the military? Why was that the career path for you? Hey, well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Dr. Riddle. Um, And hello, everyone listening. So I think my career path was a little bit different, um, but similar to other people. My grandfather actually was a Tuskegee Airman, um, and my entire father's side of the family, with the exception of my dad, who is a doctor as well, um, they are all military in some shape or fashion. So I had one uncle who was a Navy SEAL. I've had another uncle uncle who was in the Air Force. Um, a couple of aunts who were also in the Air Force, and a lot of their children are also military. So it was very much kind of a family affair. And when my older sister joined the Navy, um, it just made sense for me to want to, A, practice medicine, and B, provide care to so many men and women, particularly family members who are just near and dear to my heart. So that was kind of why military medicine was the route in which I chose to take. Well, so you have a lot of insight into what that might look like, at least prior to making the decision. Where were you in your journey when you made the decision? Were you were you in college? Did you make that decision in high school? Like, how long did you know that that's where you were going to head? So my older sister is about, she's four years older than I am, and she did ROTC for college. Um, she kind of was my inside track, I guess, when I was in high school to let me know, hey, there are routes for you to be a military doctor uh, that, you know, you can get in tap with kind of as you go through your schooling. So I knew that going into college, I was probably going to seek out those opportunities. Um, Very fruitful and fortuitous for me, the University of Miami, where I did my undergrad, had a lot of very active and involved uh, recruiters for the health professional scholarship program. Um, And so I kind of got linked up with them early on in my journey. So when I was a second year in college, and then when I was a third year in college, I started the application process, which was really great for me because I had the chance to kind of pick between the different branches and really think about what I wanted to do with my life. I've been very decisive Um, since I was quite young and I knew pretty much what I wanted to go into going into medical school with the exception of some, a couple of options or thoughts here and there, but I was really able to kind of tailor my pick based on what I thought I would want to do as a practice later on in my career. And I know you chose the army. So I wonder if you could just share a little bit about how you weighed the different opportunities across the branches and landed on that decision. It was really tactical on my part, I think. So going into med school, I knew that I wanted to do either surgery or emergency medicine. So surgery in some shape or fashion or be an emergency medicine doc like my dad was. 
So when I was looking at the different branches and they publicize this, you kind of get a feel for where their spots or where their training programs are, and then also how many spots and positions they have for residency training. So when I was looking at it, um, I really wanted, I really ended up deciding between the Air Force and the Army, kind of for two separate reasons. The Air Force has a lot of civilian training that you can do and still be an Air Force doctor when you finish. And the Army has a lot of spots for those two residencies I was looking into, so surgical or emergency medicine. Really what it came down to at the end of the day, which is actually kind of comical, is that the Air Force never called me back until I was actually in med school on the Army scholarship. So the Army, it was, and I love my choice. That's funny. I, not being called back, and I'm thinking to myself, knowing you as well as I know you now, um, that's the loss for the Air Force, I would say. Oh, thank Same you. On them. <laughs> and, I, and I know you chose general surgery, and I know you are currently in your intern year of the general surgery program at Fort Brook in San Antonio. And you actually, you answered a little bit of a question for me about the different opportunities, civilian versus military. Did you know that you wanted a military residency and, and or, was, or was the army choice because they had more opportunities in for matching in the military? Like what drove, what's the difference? What's the difference between a civilian program and a, and a military program if you're going into surgery? So I think first off, you're gonna get an excellent training, really honestly, if you go anywhere that the, you know, that's accredited, that's your first thing. Because to be accredited, you kind of have to hit all those milestones. I think for me, the difference and why I really pushed very hard to be at Fort Sam and um, why I think I ended up here instead of a civilian training, which was an option for me, was that the population is different but also kind of the feel for the program is different as well. So for me, you know, these people that I'm training besides and my, my attendings and things like that, all of those people you can be deployed with in the future or all of those people you might be deployed with their children or their family members who are over, you know, yonder somewhere across the world. And you really feel that because they want to train you so that if it was their life or their limb or their family member's life or limb that was on the line, they want you to be a good surgeon who can take care of patients. And I think that that really is one of those in the background thoughts that we have during training that makes a difference, which is that at the end of the day, you know, we don't have anything that's really ramped up or really crazy in terms of wartime. But some of these surgeons that you train with were at the height of um, some of the major land battles over in Iraq and Afghanistan. And honestly, they train you so that if they were in that situation, they know that you're a competent and excellent surgeon. So I think that's the difference. Not that you're not going to get excellent training anywhere else, but it's just that thought in the background that always kind of propels your teachers and your attendings to kind of push you that much more to think about, well, what if you didn't have this? What if you didn't have this? Which I don't, you don't necessarily get that urgency when you're out in the civilian training world. Yeah, that kind of makes sense actually, because there is a certain, I guess I'll say mission purpose 
behind your training, even if you elected at some point in the future to practice as a civilian, for the, for the extent of time you're gonna be in the military, there, there are some differences in terms of what you might face you know, in theater, right? That, that are perhaps a bit different than you might face in a civilian practice you know, on, in the United States. So that makes a lot of sense. What does your payback look like? I, I don't really know anything about that. And I think it'd be interesting for folks that might be contemplating this you know, that, that is an aspect of it that might, might be a little different than what folks who just take out loans for medical school and pay them back, you know, with, with writing checks or whatever. What does it look like for the military? Right. So pretty much across the board, your intern year is free, uh, meaning that you don't owe time back for that. Um, so it gets a little bit complicated. So for every year you're in medical school with your scholarship, you owe a year back to the military. And then when you go to a military residency program, you do what's called concurrent payback. So that means that I'm accruing no extra time per se for being trained as a military resident, but I am concomitantly paying back my four years of medical school. So what is going on basically is I'm accruing a year and paying off a year at the same time. Uh, so, but my internship is free. So general surgery residency in the army is six years across the board. There's a mandatory research year at pretty much every single residency program in the army. So at the end of my six years, I will owe back something like five years or it's like four years in a couple months, like 11 months or something like that. Uh, so I'll owe that many years back in service. And can that be paid back either as an active duty a person or as a reservist? That depends on the needs of the Army. So there, you know, there has been talk last year, there was actually um, an entire class that kind of completed their residency and they didn't need that type of doctor that they had trained. And they basically said, thank you for your service, you're done. So it just depends on what the needs of the Army look like at the end of my six years of residency, whether or not they need me as a general surgeon or they don't. Um, and so that kind of, it just depends. But for the most part, you pay back your years active duty. Right, right, that makes sense. So I'm gonna pivot a little bit to a slightly different topic all around your life in the military, but obviously you're a woman and mm -hmm. I know you're a woman of color. You refer to your, your Tuskegee Airmen grandfather, great-grandfather? Grandfather. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about what that experience has been like for you so far in terms of being a woman in the Army, in a general surgery residency, and then add on top of that being a woman of color. So I think that the Army is very open, at least the military in general is very open with kind of the disparities that they faced. And actually they're trying to kind of leap some of those bounds in terms of some of their rules and regulations that had previously been prohibitive to women of color in terms of the hairstyles that they wear and things like that. So I think that's great. But I think the army itself, when you look at the demographic of the population that makes a big army just in general, it is predominantly kind of the white male um, majority that does make up a lot or a large proportion of the army. 
And when you take into account the fact that that's what big army looks like, and then you add on top of this, this super educated or super select kind of population that being a military doctor within the army is, along with kind of the challenges in general that the medical school and undergraduate you know, training faces in terms of being a minority and being a minority of color in terms of access to education, we kind of get into this super, super select population in which as a woman of color training in a surgery residency in general, when you don't add the army on top of it, you are kind of a minority just across the United States, we know this. Um, and then when you add on top of that, the fact that, you know, I'm in an army residency program and there's maybe 40 or 30 whereabouts seats to be in an army or be on a military base training program, you kind of narrow that field down to a lot. So in terms of me being a woman of color, I am the only person in my residency who um, is that right now. Next year, we actually have another woman of color who's coming on and she'll be an intern. But right now I'm the only woman of color within my residency program. There is a um, African-American gentleman who's in the year above me, who's a second year. But in terms of people who look like me within the program itself, there really isn't a lot. We have female leadership uh, within our program. Our actual new program director is a woman and she's very, very, very well-trained and extremely, um, and will be extremely good for the program. But beyond that, I think that just in general, there aren't that many mentors for people who look exactly like me, meaning right. there aren't very many African-American females in this program. And I think kind of my message for people moving forward is that it's hard to be a trailblazer in terms of just being the only person who looks like you and kind of faces the problems that you face every day. But there's also some reward in it too. Whereas, you know, as a second year resident going on next year, I will have an intern who looks like me and who will probably look up to me in terms of guidance for things that we will face together, looking very similar and kind of having similar life experiences, which I think will be great. Um, but it is, a, it is a difficult position to sit in because there's really no one person I can go to and talk about the issues that are very specific to me, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. Um, there are faculty who are women and there are faculty who are African-American or black, but there are no faculty really who are both who sit on our kind of, you know, our program leadership or uh, within our program itself, actually, which, you know, is a hardship in and of itself. That being said, the Army and I know the program in general is making strides to kind of make that something hurdle that they tackle so that there is appropriate representation um, across the board for everyone, which I'm, I look forward to. Um, yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited for you to have that young woman coming into the program because she's going to be very fortunate to have you a year ahead of her. I, I obviously, you and I got to know each other well when you were a student and you're going to be a phenomenal mentor to her. So I think that's that's really exciting, and it it seems to me that the more the more that that takes place, whether it's in the army or in a civilian residency, where you you know you have someone in the program that looks like you, so it makes you that much more interested in being able to be at that program to have that mentorship mm -hmm. is, is 
you know, hopefully that will that will continue to happen over time. Yeah. Well, and and you know, there have been huge studies, right? And big big papers that have been published about access to healthcare and how people in general respond better to healthcare providers who look like them or who are from similar lifestyles as them. They just feel like they are more uh, well represented and well heard when they speak to their doctor. And I think all of that is very important when you look at kind of the trials and tribulations that our country has faced in the last year in terms of racial inequality or equality, kind of those strides. We do think of things to that nature. And I think that healthcare is one of those, one of those areas where it's going to be a hard thing to tackle. Uh, but you look at the undergraduate enrollment thus far, and we see that over 50% is, is female at this time. And then you look at kind of the med schools and in terms of med school um, acceptance rate, I know that ours, at least the Morsani College of Medicine was really, really, really heavily female, not, not super heavily female, but definitely over 50% female um, and edging that way, just in reflection of kind of what the undergraduate mm-hmm. sphere mm-hmm. looks like. And so that, that like leads you to be hopeful, right? So that leads you to think, hey, there are leaps and bounds on the horizon um, in terms of this equality and in terms of kind of meeting that, uh, meeting that goal that we want set for society. Um, And even in the Tampa Bay Times, I think they published a paper in the paper a few years ago that, you know, if the, if surgery residencies didn't get on board within the next 15 years, there'd be no trained surgical residents if they continue to pick male um, over female applicants, because the kind of the coming up of the population being so heavily predominated as female uh, will turn out to be, you know, uh, they'll just not have any more applicant pool to pick from if they continue their selection practices the way they do. So I think the residency programs in general are kind of getting on board with this and trying to make their application process and their selection process a lot more a lot more kind of equal and uh, without, you know, the bounds that were previously placed on them before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's it starts with awareness, just being able to recognize that there's there's an issue, regardless of what that issue might be. If you're aware of it, then you can start to focus and figure out strategies for, for overcoming it, so. Exactly. Yeah, so we're kind of coming up on time, but I did want to ask you, you know, if you could just comment briefly on any landmines that you've you've discovered along the way that, you know, you would sort of tell your younger self, here's something to watch out for. If there are students listening or others who might who might be thinking about this path for themselves. Um, I think that the landmines in terms of kind of the the process. So you've gotten your scholarship and you've picked what you want to do. I think the most important thing to realize and that I wish my younger self had realized was that when you set yourself up to go on your audition rotations, those matter. That means that, you know, when you go to a place, unlike in the civilian match where you're kind of a piece of paper and they look at your, you know, they look and see how well you did with the residents at the dinner beforehand and how well you did in school and they read those things. At the military program, you will go to the residency program and you will spend a month there. 
And especially for the more selective kind of residency programs, like all the surgical subspecialties, some of the emergency medicine programs, where there are a limited number of residents, the staff and the faculty and the residents, the residents especially have a huge say in whether or not you go to that program, because they're going to be with you for the next five or six years together. Um, so you really have to have your kind of game face on and looking back, it's, it's super difficult to spend, you know, 90 days or three months or four months with kind of your A game on, but it, it, um, it's definitely worth it in the end to be somewhere where you're extremely happy and you have opportunities and you feel like you mesh as part of a group, which I do pretty much every day in my residency class, at least we are very much, you know, a family. So the rewards are there, but for everyone who applies, just know that kind of coming up on that uh, fourth year rotation schedule, it is important and it does matter. And just be prepared to kind of be prepared for that four month long haul of just having your A game and your game face on. And take that time to really look at the program itself. And if you're not happy there, then that's fine too. You know, you'll have your next audition rotation or you'll have, you know, the next place you go. But I think that you really have to put your best foot forward. Yeah, and I think the last part of that advice, which is really also be looking at the program, you know, you think yeah. of yourself as interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you and make, you know, trust your gut. If it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like it's a good fit, don't try to force it. Just, exactly. you know, you feel like you should, so. Well, Dr. Thomas, it's so cool to be able to call you that. Oh, it's so cool to have, you know, I don't think of myself like that. I think eight months in with the title and I still think of myself as just fourth year medical student. Yeah, well, you're far more <laughs> than that and you've got lots of, uh, lots of runway ahead of you. So thank you, thank you for taking the time with me this morning. And, you know, I, I think I know the answer to this, but if there are folks who would like to talk to you one-on-one -on -one or learn more from you. Um, may I share your contact information with them? Of course. Thank you so much, because you will, you will be such a great resource. So I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to follow you and see where you land. And, you know, it's just been, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. So thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. And I miss you guys all in Tampa. If you have ideas for future podcasts, or if you would like to be a guest, please let me know at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E 25 at usf.edu. Thank you so much for listening.